All right, webinar is now live. Happy Thursday, traders. This is Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com, and I am hosting my Macro to Micro Power Hour this Thursday after the close with a friend who is an absolute, uh, just brilliant strategist in real estate. He's my favorite data analyst for real estate. Um, and we're going to just do a little housekeeping real quick before we dig in and talk about the recent housing boom. First and foremost, I do this every Tuesday and Thursday, 4 o'clock. Tuesday, I have Jonathan Gibbons of VigTech.io. And when it's done, it will be hosted on this particular Leduc trading channel, which is my YouTube channel. And if you look back here a little bit, you'll see back in January, Logan and I did this uh, right before the housing market took off in hot fire flames, and he predicted it. So it's pretty cool, um, his analysis from last year uh, into right now. So without further ado, hi, Logan. Hi. It's good to see <laughs> um, you again. Oh, I forgot the little um, housekeeping also that we have this on a podcast now. So I'm excited to say that folks can actually find us on Audible and uh, Spotify and Apple, of course, and download it while they're, you know, cooking dinner. So let's go back before we go forward. When um, I started tracking you very closely, your calls on real estate were bullish despite the COVID lockdowns, despite the forbearance, despite the credit distress in the REIT market, uh, commercial, you know, residential real estate, which is doomsayers were absolutely beyond um, consolation, right? They just, you could not console them. They were absolutely in um uh fear of losing everything and you were like calm down calm down it's we're, we're gonna get out of this and not only were you a cheerleader on just the good old faith of um our you know determination grit um and printing but you also really saw some nice uh data to foretell uh, what turned out to be a, an, an unprecedented kind of housing boom. And now that we've had a, a, another visit in January where you uh, called this, um, you know, continued strength where, again, folks were like, oh, no, oh, no, we're going to fall, we're going to fall. Um, now we're really a little bit crazy. So we, it was time. I said, let's, let's revisit this and see our, it, where you see us moving forward. So uh, catch us up. What was your narrative then to now? Well, my, a lot of my work is based on the principle that, you know, from 2008 to 2019, we'd see the weakest housing recovery ever. Uh, that's housing starts, mortgage demand, new home sales, stuff that really drives the housing market for the economy. But when years 2020 to 2024 come, we're going to hand off to a very unique demographic patch and mortgage rates should be low. So what happened before COVID in 2020, you know, January and February, housing data authentically broke out for the first time since the early part of the century. You saw it in new home sales, you saw it in housing starts, you saw it in mortgage demand, you saw it in existing home sales. Then COVID hit. And I think the, the mindset of everything is 2008 uh, mm -hmm. overtook everybody and the fear of the virus, everything, you know, for about six weeks, uh, we saw purchase application decline and then it stopped. And then it started uh, kicking back again. So last year, a lot of my work was trying to tell everybody housing's going to be fine. The economy is going to recover in 2020. You just give it a little bit of time, follow these data lines, and we'll get here. There's one problem, though, with years 2020 and 2024, is that when you have the best housing demographic patch ever and you have the lowest mortgage rates ever, you also can have home prices take off in an unhealthy way. 
And that's what we're seeing now. So a lot of my work, a lot of my interviews with Bloomberg and stuff I write for Housing Wire, the term unhealthiest housing market uh, since 2008 is common with my work. And that's more or less is we have an inventory crunch, right? Mm -hmm. I like to use the term replacement buyers instead of let's say a boom, because I don't believe in necessarily a credit boom. Like we saw, like I always tell people, look at the purchase application data from 2002 to 2005. That was a credit boom. That was an existing home sales boom and new home sales. It's much different this time around. But the problem is when inventory has been falling every single year since 2014, purchase application data has been rising every year since 2014, you can have inventory just collapse down to a levels to where you can see double digit home price growth and have existing home sales just be up slightly year over year. That to me is unhealthy. It's unhealthy in the sense that because inventory levels are at all time lows, you have too many people bidding on too few homes. And in a sense, that is the essence of inflation. And you don't really have the kind of credit boom to go with it. So it's, 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 it's unhealthy in that regard. But again, it's also a first world problem. You know, you know it's not like home prices are falling 50, 60%, foreclosures are, are rising. You know, forbearance last year, I talked about, you know, getting ahead of the forbearance crash bros, as, as I call them, you know, forbearance should take care of itself in time. It's forbearance itself, the, the, the headline numbers have already dropped in half within one year. So that's going to that's gonna work itself fine, especially with a second wave of jobs coming in. But the problem is inventory levels are just simply too low and home prices are simply too hot. And we need, and I do believe this, this will happen, we need a little cooling down, a little um, more inventory coming out of the market to create days on market to go back up to over 30 days. And that's the existing home sales market. And that's what, that's why I'm very concerned that so far, a lot of people thought that, well, more people are just going to list their homes and we're going to get a, a, a more inventory to market to cool down prices. It hasn't really happened yet, but it should. So hopefully in the second half of the year, uh, we get that little inventory increase and uh, we cool the market down. All right, let's talk about that uh, lowest inventory since what was it, 1990s? I mean, I've seen the chart floating repeatedly. Well, it, it's on really ever, yeah, it's the total inventory for Zixi is all time lows. Okay, like, so all time lows. And we also have input, uh, input costs rising um, in very strong measures with obviously uh, housing prices. What about this? Because this is a big, big headwind. This is the second problem with housing right now. On top of the existing home sales market, the new home sales market, which again, it's sales are, are, are fine. Housing starts, housing permits are still moving, but it is it was always expensive to build homes. Now it got more expensive. And of course the builders have been able to pass this cost on by raising prices and it's fine, but it's also a 3% mortgage market, right? It'll be different when mortgage rates get to 4%. Now, I didn't believe myself mortgage rates will get to 4% in 2021, but we've put in a lot of input costs into new homes, which was always more expensive to build anyway than it has been in the previous decade. So right now they, they can get away with it. My concern is, and I even wrote about this last year, the housing market in itself changes when mortgage rates get above 3.75% and higher. It's not a 2021 story, but it's something to look for in 2022. I already know lumber prices are coming down, but we need a cooling down on some of these costs as well. But the builders are in a much different position than the existing home sales market because they have to build so much. And I imagine that unit labor costs are just gonna grow. And it's gonna be more problematic for them. So that is the one sector I would keep an eye on. 
uh, going out in the future. And for me, it's always been the same monthly supply for new homes. As long as it's below 4.3 months, uh, things are good with the builders. That's why the confidence index is so high. That's why permits are still doing good. But once you get above 4.4 months, you, it just becomes an okay market. And that's what we saw from 2008 to 2019. And then as, if it monthly supply ever gets above 6.4 months, the rate of growth in construction is going to stop. And we saw that in 2018, 2018, 5% mortgage rates, builder stocks were down 30, 40% from their peak. Uh, monthly supply created the rate of growth of construction to pause, but in a few months later, mortgage rates went down and it kind of retracted itself out back. But one thing we have to remember about this new expansion is that the uh, new home sales sector enjoyed a very low bar from 2008 to 2019. It doesn't have that low bar anymore. So they've got to earn it. So you have to be mindful. You have to look at and see that when mortgage rates do rise, and they will at some point, how much does that impact the new home sales sector? Because that will impact that sector more than the existing home sale market. So what about in regards to the, you know, Toll Brothers and other uh, big home builders saying they're just not going to put houses up for sale until they're at least 50% completed because they're not sure <laughs> yeah, how and, it's going to go with delivery of their materials. I don't, I don't blame them. I mean, think about how how expensive things have gotten for them. And it's not just that, I mean, there's land, you know, you, you yeah. lands, the shortages of land and purchasing. There's all these things, the builders are mindful not to make the mistake uh, that what, what happened during 2002 to 2005. Remember, we had an 82% crash in new home sales from the peak of the housing bubble down to the bottom. And then we also had the weakest housing recovery also after that. So they are mindful. They don't think like, let's say how housing economists or economists think where everybody says, you just have to build more homes. You just have to build more homes. There's costs, there's land costs, there's all these, the regulation costs just on a new home, I think it's like $94,000. So they look at the world much differently than let's say Twitter economists do. And they're mindful of this because in the back of my mind too, can this even work when mortgage rates get up to 4%? So I understand their caution looking out right now because it has been such a hot marketplace for them and they've been able to get away with this because you know their margins uh, have have extended because they've just been able to just raise the prices some point that doesn't work out so that's that's a sector that i'm keeping an eye on going forward so yeah the diminishing returns at this rate with the uh, home builders are you still bullish those I'm, as I'm stocks, generally, I'm oh yeah, I'm generally always going to be bullish in housing in years 2020 to 20, just because of the raw demographic patch. And for me, it's, I, I might not be a credit boom person or a big sales boom, but for me, we should be able to get total sales that's existing in new home sales, 6.2 million and higher during this period. That's something that could not have happened in 2008 to 2009, but we should. Again, biggest demographic patch ever, ages 27 to 33, the biggest in American history. You put move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors, you put them all together, you have good replacement demand. And that's why I've always talked about housing. You have really good replacement demand during this five-year period. Just the raw sh uh, sheer size of demographics kicking in with mortgage rates being at all-time low. So the two things that drive housing in this country are at the best levels ever. So it, to me, it gives you steady replacement demand. While I'm not a big credit boom, big sales boom type of person, uh, we should be able year after year be okay, but you have to separate the new home sale market versus the existing home sales market because the new home sales market does not have a low bar anymore and they get hit 
by uh, higher mortgage rates. They're a 90% plus mortgage market where the existing home sales has 25% cash buyers still in that marketplace. Two different marketplaces out here. So you need to be mindful of that going on in the future. But again, millions and millions of Americans buy homes each year. It's just that this period of time in history, you have a little bit more than usual. And that's why you saw housing outperform in 2020 and 2021. Do you have data on, I mean, the savings rates really um, out there and that's often mentioned. What about the, the financed partial deposits on new home coming from the family and friends category? Remember, we, I had a little communication on this in, uh, in Twitter. Where's the money coming from? <laughs> you know, the, from 2008 to 2020, there's always been roughly about the same amount of uh, home buyers getting assistance from uh, uh, parents or friends. Uh, it, it's not that big of the market. The savings rate expanding, of course, we saw what happens when you get transfer payments. I mean, remember, we were giving money to people that were always working and getting paid. So naturally, they can't spend enough. Now, the savings rate blew up to all-time highs. Yep. And we yep. have a lot of excess savings that should be drawn down. Also, disposable uh, per capita income uh, also blew up higher uh, yep. during this crisis. So. We have a really good backdrop for the economy to keep on expanding for a few more years, but uh, I, I'm not sure how much the savings rates impact uh, the the direct home buyers. Remember, the new home buyer is, is older, is wealthier, makes more money than the existing home sales market, but there are some transfer payments always from friends or family to first-time home buyers. Uh, it's been a bit of a steady rate for, for many years. Okay, so you do uh, track that. I was just curious if this liquidity that is obviously fire hose it's yeah it's not yeah for housing it's not, not so as big okay. as yeah yeah but okay. i mean i do expect the excess savings to fall down next year especially with people being able to travel uh more because you know a lot, a lot of people a lot of their big one-time expenses for the year is traveling so that should wind itself down but again we have so much excess savings and by september of next year in 2020 we should have all the jobs back that were lost to COVID. But again, right now there's just, home prices are way too hot and it's expensive for the builders, but they're able to pass that on. So mm -hmm. it works now, just be mindful of higher rates. I know I know, 3.754% doesn't seem that high, but in the past, in the previous expansion, when rates get above 4%, it moderates home price growth. That's what we want. We want housing to cool down. We do not want, like my biggest fear is like five years of this happening. So year one and year two in that sense, is it's, it's a negative for me. Uh, but if we get just nominal home prices at 4.6%, somewhere around there, uh, it's okay. It's manageable. Uh, and of course, if we had an affordability crisis in America, you wouldn't see 2020 and 2021 data. So people are still able to buy homes. Purchase application data, I think this is a big thing. Housing data itself has just gone out of whack just because of what COVID did. Yeah. You have to realize that uh, existing home sales has to moderate. We're going to get some prints uh, below 5.84 million, which would be very normal. We ended 2020 with just 5.64 million homes. That's only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. So it's not like we're working from a really boom expansion like we saw the peak of 2005, where it was over 7 million existing homes. So we, we have enough replacement buyers to give uh, a growth again for this year, but we have to have home prices cool down. Right, people should not be in this mindset that they're going against ten or fifteen or twenty people. It's one thing to get outbid by one or two people, but to get bid by outbid by ten or fifteen people, it's just it's a very unhealthy marketplace that we are right now. So, referencing your article in Housing Wire, where you talk about the unhealthiest housing market in the last ten years, 
you and you say it's mostly an inventory problem, yes. but you have you have an interesting. Um, I, I'm sort of quoting, sort of not really. <laughs> Excuse me. BlackRock also. Do you do you have uh, any demographics in regards to the institutional ownership of homes and its impact? I think this story has gotten overblown. Like okay. BlackRock, like BlackRock <laughs> bought maybe 200,000 homes in the last like seven years. But the BlackRock I mean, types, not but, just yeah, them. Well, that, investors, investors have always been about, you know, 13 to 17%. Uh, cash buyers have been falling down for many years now, just because cash buyers were abnormally high because they were buying distressed property. So now cash buyers are picking up a little bit. If you, you, you run a, uh, maybe a three month average, you're around 23% right now. Uh, during the, after the years of the crashes, it was about 30, 35%. There's, you know, NAR is different from CoreLogic. They each, each has their uh, own data. But cash buyers are picking up again. I, I think for investors, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming here, zero interest rate policy, low bond yields, rents are going to pick up. So you can have the ability, like people always ask me, why don't investors sell? Well, rents are good and they're about to pick up. Like, you know, I would say the, the best case for core inflation CPI to be above 2% and stay above 2% for a long time is that rent inflation should pick up, especially if wage inflation picks up on the lower end. Landlords could charge higher rents. These people see the same thing, right? So uh, if there are a little bit more institutional buyers, I would imagine it's more or less not for, let's say, a flipping or, but, you know, a remodel and a rent, you get some yield out there. That's what you're looking for in a zero interest rate uh, environment. All right. And but I do to... think, I do think some investors will sell in the second half, like especially mom and pop who just went through the whole COVID experience and haven't had their, you know, rents given to them and they had the mortgage payments and they had some forbearance on that. I do think some of those people sell because they don't want any part of this action anymore. That, that to me seems very normal. I don't know if big waves of real estate investors who would like to collect rents are gonna sell in that regard. So what about the donut effect? This was a recent article that also came out, Bloomberg and such, talking about this move from cities into suburbs. Um, you foretold that really, really well, not only last year, but also in the interview back in January, talking about how suburbia, if you will, is going to remain bid, and it well, has. Yeah, it's take COVID out of the equation and take the work from home model out of the equation. A lot of my work has been that in years 2020 to 2024, this decade, we're gonna have a lot more people ages 30 to 39. So people, they rent, they date, they mate, they get married, they have kids. They don't typically live in expensive cities, they move, right? So we have a lot of cheaper housings away from the coastal areas. So, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be a state to state move. You just move east or west toward the middle to anything, you have cheaper homes. Now the work from home model, that's really exciting for me. Like, I don't think I'm ever gonna be more excited about a new variable than the work from home model. I really want this to work out. Um, so I have to fight my bias on this that, you know, whatever happens in a crisis typically stays in a crisis. But here, there are certain companies who are going to push this. Uh, and they're also going to recruit talent off of this. So I do think some companies and some people will take advantage of it. I'm not sure how big it will be. But if we get 15 to 21 percent of, 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 of uh, people working from home, to me, that's a major, 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 major shift. 
and victory from the work from home model, which was running about three, 4% anyway of the total workforce. So I think this is a very, very exciting thing for this decade. And I hope it works out, but I'm just, my, my bias is always that when things happen in a crisis, they don't actually stay around. So I'm not sure how many companies want to do that or even how many people want to work from home always out here. So we'll see. Uh, it could be something like a hybrid, like, you know, some people just work from home maybe two days and come to the office three days, something to that nature. But we'll we'll see if that works, because that means inventory is going to come from one area and you're going to go buyers in the area. I, I think that's a very healthy marketplace reaction uh, 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 to a very new, exciting variable that we have here with the work from home model. So you're not worried about the institutionalization of real estate and that work from home is exciting or or just feeds this uh, continued migration. Not, not really. I just, I, I don't think it's like, it's like I, I think of the foreign, a lot of people thought foreign buyers were like really big in the housing market. They were like less than 300,000 homes purchased a year. So th there are investors. We do have, we do have a big single family investment uh, 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 portfolio out there of, 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 of investors using that. I think that's a healthy thing. You know, I know here in California, you can make $100,000 a year and have no chance of buying a home, you know, but you can rent a single family home in, in a cheap area. I think those, those, are, those are positive aspects for, for groups of people that just do not have enough income or assets to buy a home. But again, the, the inventory situation has started in 2014. It's been falling down every single year. Myself, before even COVID, I was more worried about this in 2022 and 2023. Those are like the really sweet spot years for housing. Uh, but it happened earlier and that's the COVID effect. I mean, whatever forbearance, even if it goes down to like less than uh, 50,000 people are still in forbearance, those homes were not in the natural equilibrium uh, uh, of the housing market and mortgage rates went lower and stayed lower. Without COVID, you don't have that, right? So we're, we have this really good economic data, but the 10-year yields at 160, right? We have really good economic data, mortgage rates are 3%. Previous cycle, that 10-year yields between 160 to 3%, mostly, sometimes we go a little under, sometimes we go over. We lost that ability to kind of manage home prices. Uh, uh, so that's the concern I have when, when COVID kept rates low. And I'm just hoping that in the second half of 2021, more inventory picks up and we put the days on market because I don't believe in a credit boom. We, don't, we do not see a credit boom. Purchase application data has been positive. The heat months, if you ever really want to track how housing is going, the uh, second week of January to the first week of May, you look at the year over year, we had 20% growth, but I've done two COVID-19 adjustments to the data, and we've had about mid-single digit uh, year over year growth. So this year will be okay. You know, we're going to have more homes bought this year than last year, but we don't have this massive credit boom going out there. And because of that, I do think inventory will increase. I do think days on the market will increase and things will slow down price-wise, which to me is the number one thing because you don't want a market like this. This is not healthy for anybody to go to open houses and see 30 people there waiting in line with you. Uh, that's not how it should be. This is, people just want to buy home as shelter, right? They're not looking at it as investment. So they this kind of competition just wears on you after time and time if you don't win. And there are more real estate agents than you know houses for sale. Yeah, and, that, and that's- that, that's, <laughs> that's 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 the inventory crunch, and that's just a raw decline of total inventory, which is is at extremely low levels. Where we, you know we we always had enough homes to buy to raise sales from 2013 to 19, 2019, but it just collapsed during COVID, 
And housing tenure has a part to do with this. People are just staying in their homes longer. Uh, baby boomers are not downsizing. They're not all selling their homes in one month like the silver tsunami was supposed to happen. But uh, because of that, you have all these, all these factors are running in. This is why my concern was in this period when you have the lowest mortgage rates and the biggest demographic patch that home prices could take off. So this is why I always say it's a very unhealthy housing market because people should not be bidding like this for a house. This is not a piece of artwork or anything like that nature. They do, people just want somewhere to live and they don't care about where home prices are going. They're just looking for shelter and there's too much competition right now. So hopefully things ease up. I'm not talking about just the seasonality increases well, in inventory we see, but just the total inventory gets higher. Then let's talk about what if it doesn't. We have input prices, obviously low inventory and you know all kinds of demographic shifts. What about the Fed? Where, where is this the danger? I, I was looking back at the old, um, not the old, the YouTube from video that we did, um, literally, Real Estate, the Perfect Storm for Outperformance. That was the title. And you had a rate figure in there. I don't believe it was 3.75. I thought it was a little bit higher at the time. But where things start to break, and I was trying to find that while you were talking, but I can't. Yeah, so it's, what was that know, level? Uh, you know, it, it, in August of last year, I said, when the 10-year yield gets above 1.94%, mortgage rates in theory should be 3.7% and higher because the rate of growth of pricing is so hot. And this is what happened like in 2013. And I don't know if people remember in 2013, we had 10% real home price growth year over year. And then mortgage rates went above uh, 4%. The 10 year yield went from 160 to 3%, cooled down the market, yep. right? Uh, rate of growth, it never went negative. Pricing never went negative, but it cooled down. Purchase application data the following year was actually down 20% year over year to an adjusting to a population all time low in that year. So that is what I'm hoping for just to cool things down because I don't believe that we have the kind of credit boom that could facilitate like mortgage demand like we saw from 2002. I think we have great replacement buyers, but if things cool down and people have more choices, it's a much more easier market for the American people. And that's, that's, that's again, I'm, I'm just working off my main concern is this and it's happening. So I can't just sit here and go rah, rah, shish, kebab. No, this is not what housing should be like. And there's a lot of factors that are pulling into this very unique demographic patch anyway. So uh, higher inventory, lower price growth, all this, anything in that regards to me will be bullish long-term because we have people, people need shelter. Mortgage rates are low but just not enough supply to, to meet demand. And we're quote unquote far away from, you know, breaching, um, you know, seriously causing volatility and, and turbulence in equities. Um, kind of the norm is they're okay with 2% on the 10 year, just not four. <laughs> yeah. But and, and it's, I, I, I don't, you know, I mean, Germany, what's Germany still negative, Japan. I mean, they're yeah, just, yeah. The, the world economies are just not like us. We, we, we are so unique because, you know, uh, we have prime age labor force growth for the next three decades. China doesn't have it. Japan doesn't have it. Europe doesn't have it. So we have the millennials and Gen Z. Both China just raised their child minimum to three. So yeah, and that's not going to help China. That's, that's just, just way, they're way, they're way too late uh, in, in the ballgame. So China's not the growth engine like it used to be. Japan is barely running positive. Europe just doesn't grow that fast anyway. So there's not much world growth out there, but the US just has this very, very unique millennials and Gen Z, both of them combined are bigger than the total population in Japan. So we have that demographic 
inflationary demand here. So you saw this V-shaped recovery, you see demand pick up. Now we have excess savings, DPI income zero. So it's, it's a really bad backdrop for unhealthy home price growth. And what I don't want, I don't want America to turn out to be like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, France, where their real home prices are so much higher than ours. And higher rates should cool things down and have in the past. So if I'm wrong, then demand is just much better than I even thought. But you'll have to test that and most likely it'd have to be next year. I mean, uh, realistically, it's a, there's a better chance of the 10-year yield going down and rates going back lower before we even get to 2% right now. So we'll- Why do we'll you say that? Just, just because we've, we've been stuck here for a very long time and we haven't had a correction in the stock market since, since March of 2020. And typically when you have, when the VIX gets lower, something usually creates some type of event to where money can go. And I'm not talking like, you know, a, a huge drop in the 10 year yield, but you could get back down to the 133 level, something to that nature where rates would just get back down or lower. So we just don't have that. I mean, I wish, I mean, I'd, I'd throw a party once the 10 year yield gets about 2%, but it's just, the world economies are just not there, right? We're, I mean, this is production levels. Everything is just not there yet. We're going to be there first. Our vaccination process is going, but is this the world needs a little bit more time to get everything in line, and then hopefully next year, rates pick up just a little bit and cool things down. All right. So you like this timing um, impulse for lower yields, but then what's your timing for a narrative higher, where they actually they're going to get supported? They're not going to. I, I mean, realistically, with our economic data, the 10-year yield should be at 3%. It isn't. And, and, and the question now is, did we create another lower level for this expansion? Because in the previous expansions, we've never gotten back to the previous peak. So is 2.42% on the 10-year yield the peak of this expansion? That, to me, is like a key level. That's more of a 2022 story to see if that works out. But of course, you need Japan and Germany. You need these yields to kind of go up. Jobs data should get better. You know, once we get through this uh, uh, little phase right here, job data should get back. So really, well, let's see what it looks like when all the jobs are back. And I think by September of 2022, then we get back into a labor market. Remember, we're replacing a lot of people that are leaving the workforce. We have replacement workers. So we don't necessarily have the best backdrop for uh, uh, um, uh, these job openings to get filled. Like one of my tweets I've done for, for many months is jolts 10 million. Right, job opening should get 10 million. It's not just the unemployment benefits. We have a big uh, baby boomer patch that is moving out, so we need to replace them. So during this time, like you look at if you look at manufacturing job openings, they skyrocketed. Right, we have a lot of industries that their median age is older, so we need people to come in and fill in those jobs. If we don't fill in those jobs, that capacity of our economy is limited to a degree. But most people are working, right? So it'll be interesting to see what the 10-year yield does next year when jobs are back to where they were pre-COVID and let's see what kind of inflationary data that could, uh, that could create. Because I do think rent inflation should pick up uh, as more people are working, the moratoriums are gone, people get back to renting, especially if wage inflation picks up on the bottom end. But ultimately, the only thing that matters is the Fed buying. <laughs> Well, even if the Fed doesn't, even even if the Fed doesn't buy it's thing, I think I think yields just still still stay low. It's the MBS market that they're really big in. So we'll see. I mean, I I don't I don't think I know New Zealand their their uh, uh, their banks are are starting to talk about maybe they should target home prices as part of their their mandate. Uh, I, I I I don't believe the Fed is even whispering that. So we'll see how it does. But again, our economic data in theory, warrants much higher bond yields. 
it's not happening. Even for myself, who was more bullish than probably anybody for the U.S. economy, more yes. bearish on bonds than anybody. Even I capped out my 10-year yield at forecast. The peak was at 1.94%. So it's not a 2021 story, but it's more, I think, let's see how 2022 uh, reacts. And any narratives you're watching right now for risk coming into the market, since this real estate backdrop is very helpful, um, you know, for those who have the largest percentage of assets in their home um, and related, you know, investments. What about market risk since the asset, the liquidity that has driven this asset boom in stocks is also unparalleled? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, the existing home sale market is fine. The stock market is going to be prone to a lot of pullbacks like we saw. It hasn't happened yet. Um, the new home sale market is my concern okay. because people think that builders should be building like crazy and the builders are already like, oh boy, we really milk this out uh, as much as we can. So there's stuff going on in there that you can only get away with 3% mortgage rates. Uh, so that's the concern going out, it, can they keep on doing this? I know permit data is still fine, and but uh, to me, that in the, in the housing market, you have to look at that sector first. That re is really the general economic impact is new home sales, construction job, uh, where the existing home sale market is more transfer payments, you know, moving trucks, stuff like that. Uh, so it's for the economies, because we don't have the low bar anymore, right? We lost that, the weakest housing recovery was also in a sense bullish that we weren't working from a very high level. 2018 was a great example. You know, supply spiked up. It looks like housing peaked, but we were only working from 640,000 new home sales. That was simply too low. Now you're getting up to the 1 million area. So that low bar is gone. So I think that's what you have to look the every week, the monthly supply for new homes. Keep an eye on that. That will give you a good foretell on what's going on in that sector. All right, monthly supply of new homes, the 3.75% level, which is key, equates to about a 1.9 in the 10 year, and replacement demand is still hot, and obviously inventory is gonna be a while before they build that up and out, especially with input prices so high and inflation expectations so high. So you see some softening coming in, at least in uh, yields, which should you know, pull the market, pull the down, market down. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's very simple. If we don't close a year out with 6.2 million total sales, then I would consider that a disappointment. It's not a, we were fine in 2020 and 2021. The question is 2022. But again, we have a massive amount of people, first time home buyers, move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors, replacement demand. Don't think of boom. Think of replacement demand is very healthy in this time. It's a once in a lifetime experience we're having right now for housing, just because we have just a little bit of demographic push coming in that we'll never see again in our lifetime. But again, the downside to this is home prices could escalate in a very unhealthy way. Got it. This is fabulous review. And you're like, Speedy Gonzalez, quick. <laughs> yes, yes. There's, no, draw, there's no, I don't have to draw it out of you, Logan. It's just, poosh, it's just so easy for you. I really appreciate the time and the, the quick synopsis of where we're at and, uh, We'll be watching these levels and obviously uh, home prices and the new, that's important, total sales, 6.2 million. That's also a level yeah, of- We're good, number. we're good this year. We're good last year. So we'll see 2020, 2022. Right. Super, thanks so much for your time. My All problem. right, uh, again, this will be posted on my Leduc Trading YouTube channel as well as uploaded as a podcast for Apple and Spotify and the usual suspects. I thank you, Logan, very much. And where can people find you for more information, um, not only to follow you on Hotwire, but 
Really? Just uh, Logan Motoshami, my Twitter handle, Instagram page, everything. Um, live all the time. I do a lot of fleets. No, not a lot of people do fleets on Twitter, but I do stories every day. You know, you do all, That's all economic data all the time. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So you know where to find him now. Have go find him. Go sign up. Follow Logan. He's a must follow. And I wish you a great weekend coming up.